0: On this episode of AvTalk, we discuss Aeroflot Flight 1492 in Moscow, Miami Air's runway excursion in Jacksonville, a few new liveries, and Jason heads to Italy. Next week, we'll have a special extended conversation with the Air Currents Editor-in-Chief John Ostrower about the 737 MAX and the steady drip of news about how the airplane was developed and what Boeing is doing to get it back in the air. Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. Hello, Jason. I am here in Chicago, as always. As always. But you, sir, are not in New York. No,
1: I am in Florence, Italy today. I will be in Rome tomorrow and flying back on uh, Alitalia on their new route to
0: Washington Dulles on Friday, so that's exciting. Because your life is difficult, and your life is hard, and I have – what's the word I'm looking for? Sympathy for you, sir. Oh,
1: well, thank you. This This particular <laughs> week has not been uh, so terrible. I cleared my schedule for a last-minute trip. I was thankful enough that I didn't have anything major and said, yeah, what the hell, I'll go have some pasta in Italy. Cause, so okay. what could be worse L- – What was the
0: impetus for this particular trip?
1: It's, as I just said, that Alitalia launched a brand new route to Washington Dulles Airport. So Milan to Dulles. It's a new route for Alitalia, one of their few new uh, long haul routes as of late. And they wanted to generate some buzz that, hey, we have a new route. So I am helping them create such buzz by, um, you know, flying on a flight and
0: then going home. The airline industry is a strange business. It is. It is. But I'm, I'm proud of you for, for falling on this particular
1: sword. There, yeah. This one, if uh, someone had to accept it, I'm okay with it being me. I, I like pasta. And the <laughs> pasta on board, I will tell you, I've always heard very good things about their catering on board. And every bit of it was correct. It, it's some of the, the
0: best business class food I've had in the, a very long yeah. time. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. If anyone listening has detected any hint of jealousy in my voice, I want to point out that I'm absolutely not jealous at all. No. No, sir. Nope, no. Nope. No, ma'am. Nope. Not at all. All right. Let's kind of uh, get into the week that was because it was a, not a good week. It was a week it was certainly a week the weekend was went from from bad to worse as it were so i guess we'll take things in in chronological order and the first kind of bad was the miami air 737 was flying from Guantanamo Bay, Cuba to the Jacksonville Naval Air Station and suffered a runway excursion on landing and ended up in shallow water at the far end of the the runway.
1: Yeah, it's an odd route for anyone wondering that, but it's a military charter flight to rotate uh, military personnel and their families from Cuba, uh, specifically Guantanamo, back to the U.S. And this flight was operated, as Ian said, by a Miami Air 737 that rotates itself between TUI and Europe in, in the summer in Miami Air when it is in the, the low season. And they uh, were landing at the Naval Air Station in some particularly bad weather. The the radar cells that I saw over the field at the time were, were pretty mean looking and we don't know why they overran the runway overran the runway was it mechanical issue was the runway contaminated did they land long we don't know at this point but the aircraft did exceed the uh, length of the runway ran over the fair amount of grass at the end of the runway there was no EMAS there to help slow the aircraft and it came to rest on the bank of the river and thankfully wasn't submerged. From all the pictures, it was actually quite amazing that everyone was coming out of the aircraft with life vests on. They had the rafts out since it was an ETOPS equipped aircraft. And that's very rare to see really any of that equipment used, even in a, a water situation.
0: Yeah, it was something that you know everyone, all all of the humans that were on board were okay. A, a story that came out. Uh, we're recording Tuesday, the seventh of May. A story that came out, I believe, yesterday, Monday, said that well, all of the human passengers on board were fine. There were a number of pets on board in the cargo hold, and sadly, the the pets did not make it out of the aircraft, and so that was a, a very kind of sad note that I was reading about yesterday. But all of the people on board made it out okay. 21 people transported to local hospitals in good condition. So a situation that could have been much worse, but still quite bad.
1: Yeah. So we'll keep you updated when the NTSB and their enormous staff that they brought to this incident, I
0: think. How many people did you say they they were dispatching? The NTSB team was 16 people. That's that a went lot down of people to, down to Jacksonville. Yeah, I was I was well, I was surprised by that. Yeah, by how large the the NTSB go team was. I mean, yeah, sixteen people sounds excessive, but they got to do what they got to do. And and so they're they're doing what they're doing, and, and they've been keeping everyone updated, you know, via their Twitter account and with press conferences and things like that. So so we'll, we'll keep everyone updated on the the investigation as it proceeds. Then the following day in Moscow, there was a what started as a radio failure became a general emergency became a hard landing and excessive fireball when Aeroflot flight 1492 returned to Moscow
1: yeah and i think hard landing doesn't even begin to uh, capture how hard that landing or i guess the the
0: second landing truly was after some video came out so the initial report was the so the the, the flight squawk 7600 which is the the generally you know, accepted, not accepted code, but the the standard code for communications failure, radio failure. If you can't use your radio, you you squawk seventy six hundred and and then work the problem, letting air traffic control know that you're having communication issues. That changed to seventy seven hundred when they were on approach to the runway, and then the first images that we saw were from the terminal area, if I've got my geography right, and that showed an aircraft on fire. Sliding down the runway, right, um, and and so everyone at first I think assumed that the aircraft was on fire and landed on fire
1: because it was it was uh, moving at a pretty good high rate of speed when that video started.
0: Right, right. It, it was you know it basically captured the the second half of the runway into where the aircraft came to rest. But, uh,
1: then a second video emerged and told not the full story but a bit more of the story
0: and changed the narrative quite dramatically. Right, right. And and so what that showed from the the opposite perspective, the other side of the runway, showed the aircraft making contact with the runway and then gaining altitude again and then making contact with the runway very hard and that immediately caused a fire. And from the pictures that we've seen afterwards, the video that we saw, the you know, the initial video, that was just a massive fireball.
1: Yeah. So they had, we don't know what exactly the cause was as of yet. There's speculation in initial reports that there was a lightning strike that potentially caused some sort of system malfunction on uh, the Sukhoi Superjet SSJ-100. I, I don't know what kind of systems would cause like a, a cascading failure that went from radio failure to general emergency to uh causing such a, a harsh bounce and then hard landing, but I guess that's for the Russian authorities to figure out. And Unfortunately, they've already reported that the flight data recorder was badly damaged from the extremely intense fire, but the cockpit voice recorder apparently survived quite in good condition.
0: Yeah, and and the thing that is really, I mean, other than why did the aircraft crash or Suffer such a hard landing and then catch fire. Other than that, the the thing that's really generated a lot of conversation and and some surprising conversation, I have to say, from from people who who I thought would know better, is, is the discussion about the passengers who were seen taking their belong uh, not belongings but uh, carry on luggage their bags with them in the evacuation. And for anyone who's not a first time listener we've talked about this before it happens I, every time and you know we've talked about how at some point it's going to get someone killed and it seems i mean you know we we don't have all of the information yet but it seems now would be a very good time to to re to continue that conversation because 41 people lost their lives and if there's even a minute chance that fewer people would have died had people not grabbed their bags then then I think this is a conversation worth continuing.
1: Yeah, I just don't understand the mentality of these people that the plane is essentially a ball of fire at this point and and people are still instinctively going for their bags on the overhead. It just human behavior just doesn't make sense all the time. And I I hope that these were maybe bags that people had in their lap already and and were, you know, essentially already with them. But I I just can't comprehend if the plane is in a a ball of fire that you'd stop and go in the overhead and (laughs) retrieve a bag. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But these things happen. Whether or not the Russian authorities analyze the video and decide to prosecute anyone that has been seen with bags on board is certainly an option, and I hope that they do explore that. but some of the more dramatic headlines I see of this is this finally going to be the impetus to ban carry on bags from the cabin and the answer don't be ridiculous no that that's that's not really an option um but changing human behavior is hard uh, especially when a lot of people out there are, are just stupid um their first thought when the plane's on fire is grab a bag that's it's gonna be really hard behavior to change but
0: ugh, it's sad. should it, should it be part of the safety briefing It already is In many airlines. but i mean it's it not i mean should it be not part of the safety brief but, but should it be more of a focus in the safety briefing I think many airlines have to start rethinking their
1: safety briefings. It needs to be less of a, a stupid comedy and song and dance. And and I know that helps to try to capture people's attention, but it simply doesn't work. Maybe that needs to be a bigger part, but thankfully, crashes and, and incidents where you do have to evacuate are, are so rare, but it is super important to know. But people ignored the safety briefings anyway, so you can say it all you want, but people are – at yeah. the end of the day, they're going to ignore it. And then we end up with these headlines of maybe we should have locking overhead bins and uh, just, just – no, that's, it's not not going to happen. It's not going to be a thing. I don't think the, the flight crew had uh, time to shut off the engines after they were on fire, let alone find a button to lock the overhead bins.
0: Right. I mean it, and it's like you know, we, we can kind of get to the, the discussion of the the, paradox, the safety paradox where you, you you know you make things so safe that you know people aren't cognizant of what can happen when things go bad. Right. And there was a they, literally they have a sense of the true level of risk.
1: Right. And there was literally a story I saw today about a couple who was flying, I believe it was Air New Zealand, and who refused to listen to the safety briefing or just even look at the safety card and they delayed the flight and Air New Zealand flight attendants and the crew kicked them off the flight, which I, bravo to them. I wish they would yeah. make sure people are paying attention in the safety video on every flight and actually ensured that people sitting in the emergency exit are able to comprehend the instructions and speak the native language. Because all too often, I observe that flight attendants don't really care or really go through the the motions to take the time to figure out if the people in the exit row are actually capable of doing what they're doing. Because how often do you see fairly elderly people in the exit row because they paid to be there for the extra space? But is the 85-year-old guy really the, the person who you want in charge of getting that window exit open?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, I, in my experience, I, I think some folks have been either, you know, I'll question their ability to to operate the emergency exit. And but then it, I will say that sometimes I have seen flight attendants move people around. Oh, totally. Where they've sometimes. made a judgment call. But yeah, it, I mean, it's it, that where every made a judgment call to, to other time or the
1: time when they don't, where it could potentially be a problem. Like I get boarding processes very hasty; it has to be done quickly. But at the end of the day, if there's an emergency. I want someone who's able to read the language that the safety card is in and is able to give a, a verbal yes when they're asked and all too often that doesn't happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, then there there are apparently a number of things that we need to work on. So Jason, you're in charge oh, okay. uh, of this
1: particular project. I'll dispatch uh, 16 members of the NTSB to get a working group going.
0: <laughs> I mean, whatever it takes at this point. Whatever but, it takes. Uh, but hopefully the the flight data recorder is serviceable uh and does have uh you know the, the data that uh, can help explain what was happening to the aircraft it was, if it was an avionics issue or uh you know a flight control issue or something whatever happened to to necessitate a return to the field so quickly, and then whatever went from bad to worse. Right. and At this
1: point, it's critical to stress that we have no idea what happened. It's also been thrown around some negative things about the SSJ-100, which doesn't have a poor safety record. Um, It may be a a Russian airplane, but there are a ton of Western components in there. It is is not your TU-154 from back in the day. Um, which also wasn't a very unsafe aircraft. It has reliability issues and a parts uh, supply chain issue, but I don't think the SSJ has ever been regarded as an unsafe aircraft.
0: No, and and, and I think that that any finger pointing in any direction other than you know something obviously went wrong and we should find out what it is i i think is incredibly premature and we we saw this with the the ethiopian crash too where where people immediately pointed to the differences and i i thought that was unfortunate is a word that i'm willing to use in this particular recording just to keep it keep our our, our g rating on itunes and things like that but i you know it's there's a a, a time for you know Wondering what could have happened and in a time for saying, "Well, no, it was obviously you know the inferior you know no we we don't know anything at this point. It would be you know premature to to speculate on that other than to say that something went wrong and hopefully they can find out what it was
1: yep, I guess uh we'll keep you updated in a couple of weeks, hopefully we'll know a bit
0: more so the situation in Venezuela is both fluid and confusing. Confusing, yeah, and we've reached a point where the FAA went so far as to issue an international security notum to U.S. operators only are bound by this, but other airlines often or other other regulators often uh, see you know the FAA's what the FAA is saying and either follow suit or, or closely tack to something you know something similar. And so the FAA has said that no U.S. operator may operate below flight level 260, which is 26,000 feet, effectively barring U.S. airlines from operating into Venezuelan airports.
1: Yeah, not that there's anyone, any U.S. airline operating to Venezuela. I think American canceled uh, that route a few weeks
0: or months back at this point. Yeah, there were no passenger flights, commercial passenger flights that were affected by this, I don't think. But this barred, you know, any US operator from flying there. So that it didn't affect necessarily too many flights, but what it did was is kind of set a an interesting, you know, an interesting bar for operations. Air France made a U-turn on one of their flights last week and then has started operating flights to Martinique. So they can pick up a new crew, so they don't have to overnight the aircraft. Which I'm in, shocked that they still were overnighting in, in, in Columbus for that. But, long. Uh, but some, you know, European carriers are still operating there. Uh, Euro Atlantic is operating for Tap, and, and Iberia still has their flight. So I mean, things are things are still going, but the situation could could evolve a bit.
1: Yeah, There are still a few other airlines, uh, Copa from Panama. Actually, that's kind of it right now, isn't it? it yeah, it is. Except it's, it's for some domestic list. airlines like Laser Flying, uh, MD-80s, and uh, cargo. Oh, and, uh, I, we, we should not forget Plus Ultra. Plus Ultra, yeah. I don't know. Uh, Their one plane is operating to somewhere. And I guess this is really a, an effort to prevent cargo flights from operating to Venezuela from the U.S., I would suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in the notice, it was you know, a safety issue. You know, concern for possible, you know, projectile launches, yeah, and, and things like that. So, you know, similar similar uh, notices have been issued for for various places. Ukraine, uh, for instance, eastern Ukraine was is noted similarly, and and various other places. So, not not necessarily an unusual notice, but a notice to take notice of as hmm. as the situation evolves. Shall we take a quick break? I'll let you go enjoy some gelato, and we'll come back and hear about another trip you took last week. Way ahead of you. Welcome back. Jason, how was your gelato? Delicious.
1: I had uh, one cup, two scoops. One was chocolate coffee or coffee
0: chocolate, and the other was Aptly named Cookies. Both were delicious. Excellent. I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. And now I want to hear about your trip to Chicago uh, that took place just after we recorded the last episode. Right. And you were supposed to be there, but you chickened out and didn't show up. Chickened out isn't so much a word. Uh, I wish I could have been there, but alas, I was unable.
1: Yes. So I went – took a day trip to Chicago, not for uh, hot dogs and to meet up with Ian for a change – but I went to uh, very disappointed. But I went to see United's new livery announcement, which uh, unfortunately leaked out the night before. Anyway, but I still went to see some friends in the plane in person, and uh, yeah, it's not a new livery so much as it is a refreshed existing livery. I guess you could
0: say, yeah, a, a revised, in evolved, maybe new ish. Yeah, um, so the United yeah. titles are, are much larger,
1: the engines are blue, the, the swoosh, the, the cheat line is now a swoosh on more aircraft than just the 7, 8M and uh, Max, which is still grounded by the way. No update there. Uh, it's growing on me. It's I growing like it, on me. I,
0: I like it less and less each day. Really? So we're going the opposite direction. We, we are. And usually we're pretty in sync about these sorts of but things. You but you haven't I seen j- it in person. No. No, I have not seen it in person yet, but i just i just don't what bothers me is not the not the titles because I like the larger titles yeah, yeah and i, that I like that I like that deep blue, but the lighter blue that they used on the tail it just it grates, and I don't know why I can't put my finger on it. I just don't like it. it's cartoonish well. I'm liking it more and more. I, I have yet to see it in
1: uh out and about at an airport and I probably won't for a while since uh I don't see United all that often, especially at JFK since they don't operate there at all anymore.
0: But I don't know. I'd I'd
1: be interested to to get your take on it once you see it in person.
0: Yeah, I mean and and I'll I'll get my chance, you know, soon enough, considering, you know, there there's a a few United flights in, into Chicago every day. I a would, couple. I am looking forward to seeing the new livery on a larger aircraft.
1: Yes. Uh, so right now it's only on a 737-800. It will soon be on A319s that they are taking delivery of used from overseas. Um, I think uh, an extra Germania A319 just made its way over to the US, so I'm sure that will get the new livery. That and was, heard, a, that so was re- a great route too. I think it was uh,
0: Keflavik Duluth. Yes. Which, I'm not sure why. Why not?
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? Cheap gas, I guess. There you go. So that'll get the new livery, and I've heard there are already a couple CRJs out there somewhere with the new livery, deep in the woods. Definitely not the CRJ two hundred I was on two days ago. That thing,
0: definitely not the new livery on that one. <laughs> so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see what it looks like, but I just I it, it grates on me. We would uh, would love to hear you know. Everyone's thoughts on United's kind of—I mean—and and this was, you know, admittedly not designed to be a new livery. It was designed to be an update of everything United had been working up to uh, at, at this point. So it, you know, they didn't—they didn't kind of fail on a new livery metric, but it's—it's it's okay. Yeah, they didn't promise
1: a new livery. They promised no. a refreshed livery, yes. and that's what they delivered on. And I just—I just don't feel refreshed.
0: is all I'm saying. Oh, you should have some water. I I will do that. Couple other new liveries worth mentioning, uh, not total airlines, but but some special liveries that are are neat to to look out for. LL has a 787 that has a dual livery. One side promotes San Francisco, the other side promoting Las Vegas, two new destinations that the the airline has announced. And that's on 787-9. The registration is 4XEDD. So be on the lookout for that one if you're a plane spotter in an LL destination. And then Brussels Airlines has now their sixth Kind of Belgian adjacent Belgian person of note livery with Brugger the Elder, and that one is registered O O S N E. So be on the lookout for that flying around Europe. Uh, some you know, some very cool stuff, and and I like that Brussels does they don't just do the livery, they, they do the whole plane inside and out. Yeah, the interior on the overhead bins, the seat backs, everything. So that was that was pretty neat. And, and so, if you're flying Brussels Airlines or, or at an airport somewhere around Europe, uh, be on the lookout for that one. Shall we close the show by striking? Oh man, strikes! Because are apparently rough. it is strike season.
1: Yeah, the weather is is getting warmer, and that means French air traffic controllers are
0: getting angry again. And uh, yeah, not going to be great. So, this week's strike will be on Thursday the ninth. So this will be over by the time you hear it but uh, be on the lookout for additional industrial actions throughout the summer as as is usually the case we've discussed and Jason was was told off in no uncertain terms by John Walton the last time we discussed this around the reasons and and we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes because it's it's worth it, it's worth a listen I think but uh, but I know Jason without sympathy shall we say I mean, there's some sympathy, but the
1: French air traffic control strikes in particular have an extremely detrimental effect on European aviation as a whole. I think there was a, a term for it for last year's strikes. I, I don't recall what it was, but it has a huge operational and financial impact. I think Vueling, the Spanish airline, had multiple aircraft. I don't remember the exact number, but it was two or three. on. Standby at all times just to fill in for flights that were impacted by the strike, which is ridiculous. That that's so much lost revenue. But France is going to France. I mean, this is the country that literally has to put out at the beginning of summer a strike calendar so you know when the railroads in France are going to be on strike, so you can plan around it. Like it, it's
0: it's crazy to me. At least they're polite enough to produce a calendar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't help when you you have to travel on a particular day, but sure, advance notice is always good.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'll let you go back to your gelato. Thank you. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your trip, and and we'll hear more about uh, your return in our next episode. There's going to be some more pasta. I, you know it's Spoilers. A reminder that next week, we'll have a special episode in conversation with the Air Current Editor-in-Chief, John Ostrower, on the Boeing 737 MAX and the compendium of reporting that's come out in the last few weeks. We'll take a closer look at how the aircraft was developed, what Boeing is doing to get it back in the air, and how the manufacturer is trying to regain the trust of airlines and pilots around the world. We hope you'll join us for that. This has been Episode 57 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with the gelatinous Jason Rabinowitz, and thank you for listening.